Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome, everyone. Thanks, Dave Slade, and welcome to the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. Joined by J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy in alphabetical order there. Uh, we're, we're not proceeding in any order. We're just cranking through National League Central. We had the Cubs the other day. Still have three other NL Central teams to plow through, and we've got to get through the National League West next week as well before we do a mega pod and talk about the top 100. And uh, instead of, we're going to go so big, we go beyond a podcast. We'll go to national television Friday on February 10th on MLB Network at 9 o'clock. That's where we'll unveil Baseball America's Top 100. Uh, we'll have tons of content at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. Of course, the print edition online and, of course, here on podcasts. But, uh, guys, we're here to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates and keep going through the NL Central. And we go Pirates today because there's recent news, a good news peg again, with the Pittsburgh Pirates with the surgery on the left knee of Josh Bell. Josh Bell's going to factor pretty heavily into our Top 100 map, but uh, this is the third time, apparently, he's had a knee problem with the left knee and second surgery, got to imagine that, you know, I hadn't thought about it before the surgery. Uh, you know, just to, I just assumed Josh Bell's going to debut in the big leagues this year as a starter, not debut, but be a regular for the first time and come off of our list. And now a little uncertainty thrown in with this latest knee problem for him. Yeah, the, the chronic nature of the injury is troubling, as is the fact that he's just he's kind of a bigger body guy. He's, he, he relies on that mass to, to generate power. And he's going to have to, you know, this is a guy with, I don't know about percentage, but defense is not why he's the top 100. No, <laughs> you know? no. That, that, that's to me, the, okay. the, the concern I have is, is that this is a two- to four-week recovery, supposedly, that puts him back anywhere from basically reporting date for, you know, for position players to just a couple weeks in the spring training, really just at the start of games being played. So from that standpoint, it would not seem like it's that significant. That being said, the question Josh Bell has is very little about how well is Josh Bell going to hit. The question is, is is he playable at first base? We're right. not asking for, is he average? Is he playable? And no one's asking <laughs> him to be James Loney over there. We're asking <laughs> him to be basically Kendris Morales. Uh, I liked your comp the other day. That was a... Uh... Yeah, switch hitting first baseman who kind of controlled his own fairly well, hit for some power. Does it trouble either of you guys that it's his left knee? When he's batting left-handed, it would be his, his back leg. <laughs> Switch hitter is going to, you know, you, I know you're saying you're saying you're going to get a little bit more well, there. he's not going to go right only. That's not his yeah. forte. No, right. no, not no, my no, forte. No. I mean, the, that I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would say from the standpoint of I just don't know, like, is this something where every five years he needs an oil change and so they fix his knee and then he's got, you know, because we're talking about, we're not talking about reconstructing ACLs or anything like that. We're talking about yeah. this has been loose bodies, basically meniscus tears, things like that. But it is something where I would say it's fair to call it a, a reasonable cause for a little bit of concern because it is, if this was the right knee, you'd say, okay, well, those are two unrelated things. 
This is the third time. This time missing time is, is really inconsequential time. It's not games. This is the best time to have that procedure. You're going to miss the month of February. It's the shortest month. It's the month that you probably do the least in terms of, I mean, you're ramping up. But that's where he discovered the pain in his left knee was off-season workouts. You know, as opposed to, I'd rather have him, him figure that out in off-season workouts than when you're in spring training. So timing-wise, he could still have this procedure, which he did, get healthy, which he should, and then the month of March, spring training is long enough anyway, especially this year with the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. So Josh Bell should have time to get ready. And if he's not, at the big league level, you have John Jaso, you have David Freeze. You do have options. Mm-hmm. I know there's some questions about Jung Ho Gong's uh, availability with his uh, off-season escapades. Uh, I'm not sure how you say <laughs> that in Korean, but he's had, he's had some rough off-seasons. Um, I, I think they were counting on Josh Bell this year. And that's one of the reasons, guys, that this is a highly rated farm system is they have players who've had success in the upper levels. Josh Bell's one of them. Tyler Glasnow's one of them. Uh, Kevin Newman had some success in AA. And Austin our number one prospect, Austin Meadows, had really, I, I just think, uh, as far as prospects who were in our top 100 last year, he had about as good of a year making that step from never having played AA before to what he did in AA, Matt. I mean, how much did he rise in your estimation? I mean, did he really... Uh, I mean, where did you have him kind of last year? How did you view him in, after 2015, and how did you view him after 2016? Well, this year he made the jump into my top 10. I can't recall exactly where I had him, probably 20s, 30s. Yeah. Uh, the power the power he showed this year was unprecedented for him, but I think probably not for scouts who, who liked him out of high school. I, he's definitely a, a top 10 caliber guy now. He really uh, – the, the guys who liked him out of high school, I remember doing draft coverage in 2013. If you liked him then, you likened him to a Jay Bruce – JJ, you've been doing the Reds for a long time. Do you see those similarities, Jay Bruce, and better, not, not as good? <laughs> I, I, I have to say it. I hope for his standpoint, better from the standpoint that, that Jay Bruce, there's been knee injuries. We're talking about knees. There's been knee injuries, I think, that are a key part of Jay Bruce and why Jay Bruce has been less than what we expected. But, but he, still, he still had a perfectly criminal career. I he's, mean, had he's had a, had a no, good career. He's had a good career. But he hasn't been a superstar. But... If you when he came when he was coming up, I mean, he was our number one prospect overall. And when he was doing that, it was this is a guy who's going to hit for average in power. Right. And there have been few seasons when he's been able to do both at the same time. I do think Austin Meadows is, has a chance to do both at the same time. I, I do question the one thing with him, and since the minor one again, but we're talking about Pirates prospects, there have been some freak injuries, but Austin Meadows has so far had the trouble of being a guy who can get out there for 125, 130 games. And some of those are, you get hit in the face, you get hit in the face. That's not something where you're brittle or anything like that. But that is kind of one of the last things that he has to check off. He did it in 2015. He played 127 games yeah. that year. I mean, that was a year where he really didn't have right. injury 14 issues. he had it, 16 he's had right. it. Um, but the other question, which is a good, this is a good situation that the Pirates have, in a, lot of, in a lot of systems, we would be talking about Austin Meadows and saying, okay, this is the center fielder of the future. And maybe he is in Pittsburgh, but they have, they have an outfield yeah. where you have a lot of options for that. And, and they, you kind of look at it right now and you say, okay, I mean, we kind of thought there was a pretty good chance that this would be the offseason that Andrew McCutcheon was sent somewhere else and kind of clear the way for Austin Meadows. Obviously, that has not happened. I mean, do you kind of see, do you think, I, I guess I'll pose it to both of you guys, do you think Austin Meadows spends the majority of the year in the minors this year or spends the majority of the year in the majors? I think he probably spends 
about equal time. That's where I think. I, mean, I really think that the Pirates, if they have any problems contending in the National League, um, National League Central, that they are going to try to move Andrew McCutcheon. They've already tried to move him, and I think wisely they didn't try too hard to move him. They weren't con- they weren't a hundred percent we're going to move him because when you're like that, that f- you're going to settle for a lesser deal, and they didn't do that for a franchise player like that. But uh, I do think that they're probably not going to be. Uh, a, a lock for a playoff spot in the National League because they're not going to win the division. The Cubs are ridiculous, and uh, you know I don't think they're in position to challenge the Cubs for the division. That means they're going to have to challenge for a wild card spot, and that's just you know can you take keep taking chances? I think there's going to be an opportunity for them to move Andrew McCutcheon, and I think that's fine uh, that they do have a ready-made replacement and in Austin Meadows. I think the, the key thing for me is Austin Meadows doesn't have to play center field. I think he can play center field, but he's a, a 180 isolated power for his career. He was really hitting for a lot of power last year. He hit for a lot of power the year before when, the, again, the 407 slugging in the Florida State League is really good when 337 is the league average for, for power, for slugging. So this guy's got power. There's no questions to me that he's going to hit for requisite power to be a, a corner player in the big leagues. and. I think left field is a better fit because he's not as good as Jorge Polanco, Gregory Polanco and right field. So to me, a Polanco, Marte, Meadows outfield plus the bounty you could get from Andrew McCutcheon is a way forward for the they, Pirates. It's not the only way, but it's a very good way forward depending on what they get for Kutch. And theoretically, trading McCutcheon could make this team a better team because, right. again, you have a ready-made replacement there who's also right. very inexpensive allows you to also reallocate money a little bit. Like, I mean, that, that's the thing that is frightening. If you're a Pirates fan, the frightening part of this is we saw last year how financially limited in some ways this team is because they made a trade at the end of the year that is still a little bit puzzling. The, uh, the Liriano trade, okay, you're getting rid of Liriano. You're thinking that he needs to move on. I get that. Drew Hutchinson, okay, you're you're taking a chance. This is the kind of guy that the Pirates have reclaimed many times before. He's a reasonable option, yeah. I think, for a rotation spot. I mean, but, I, I kind of like – if it had just been Liriano for him straight no, up, that would have been Hutchinson straight up to eat that contract, that would have been a pretty decent return. So yeah. I understand giving up one prospect, Reese McGuire and Harold Ramirez. That was surprising. But that said, those two guys aren't great prospects. No. McGuire, to me, has more value. It says a lot about how the Pirates view them internally, too. I think the industry views them the same way. I think fans overrate those two guys. Neither right. one made the <clears throat> Blue Jays' top ten, and the Blue Jays traded away a lot of prospects. I know, you know, the, the I like the Blue Jays system better than you guys do, but, I mean, like, the Blue Jays aren't in the top 15 for us in farm system rankings. And I think that's probably a consensus view in the industry. And... Uh, these two guys didn't crack a top 15 systems, top 10. So I don't. Even, it was puzzling at the time. It's still a little puzzling, but I, I don't. I just don't think those two guys are great prospects. And especially- I, I, I don't disagree with you. I still found it. I still find it like what. What I'm saying though is, is that did show the sign of how financially up against their ceiling they were. That it was like just to get free from this contract. I guess what I'm saying is most teams would have done that because most teams would have seen if you didn't think Francisco Liriano was going to work for you anymore, any team would want to get out from under a contract like that. That's, I, I, I think that's the, the whole industry. Who wants to have what they would view as $13 million in dead weight on their contract? Now, the Blue Jays didn't see that as dead weight because they were you know, making a postseason run and their pitching staff needed some help, and they thought they could help Liriano. I think really the whole key is your evaluation of Liriano, not the evaluation of those prospects. I think the industry agrees those two prospects were significantly flawed. That's that's the I guess that's the 
difference between how you're viewing the trade and how I view the trade. I, to me, the whole trade is contingent on do you think Francisco Liriano can help you? Because I think everybody else thinks the prospects are iffy. Well, in that Pirates rotation, how much do we expect to see Glasnow versus you know 2016 rookie Tyone will be in the rotation as well? And and Stephen Brault, I think, is the other kind of guy in there. They have you know a lot of recent graduates. We, we talked uh, we've talked a lot about with the Marlins how they gave up. You know, Jim Benedict was important to them. They have to get better developing their own pitching prospects. They gave up a player in Trevor Williams. To get Jim Benedict, John, not we did not. We did not give up a player. We traded Trevor Williams for a player who was then released. Let's be honest. The Pirates were organization of the year last year in 2015, and one of the reasons for that is they're creative. And one of the ways they're creative is all these things. Oh, don't look at this. No, we traded Trevor Williams for a player. Now we released that player as soon as we got him. Pretty much. Don't look at Matt Ford and all these old players who we signed in these minor league contracts. Don't ask about that. They're really coaches, really, in the minor leagues. <laughs> the Pirates have a player coach at every minor league affiliate. Every minor league affiliate. Signed, signed to a minor league contract. So I'll yes. give the Pirates credit. They're creative, and they have to be creative in their position. They're in a very difficult neighborhood. <laughs> very um, difficult with, neighborhood. Uh, uh, so, so they have to be creative. And one of the ways they also have to constantly uh, re-nourish their big league rotation, and they're doing it, Matt. They're, they're pretty good. I'm looking at their depth chart. Garrett Cole, they got first overall in the draft. He has to be... He has to pitch like a number one starter in 2017. I think, to be a I think team. being healthy would be a nice start. I would agree. <laughs> um, but he has number one stuff. Yes. And he has number one bulldog, like, pissed off. Like, I, I like Garrett Cole's attitude. Mm-hmm. Jamison Tyone, who had a fantastic year last year uh, you know, as a rookie, especially after missing two years. Right. Yvonne Nova that they re-signed. But then Chad Cool, Glasnow, Stephen Brawl, Trevor Williams are their homegrown options to go with well, Drew Hutchinson, their trade option. That's kind of what they have to do to survive, isn't it? To be to keep on replenishing this uh, pitching staff of, uh, with homegrown players. I thought resigning Ivan Nova was smart as well. He really thrived under that their system. He did. Yeah, Glasnow is is obviously the big X factor here. Tyler Glasnow, number three prospect in the system, two time number one. Right. Throws hard, hammer breaking ball. Doesn't throw enough strikes. And and throws hard. Can, can hammer, he throw enough strikes? Hammer breaking ball. <clears throat> when you talk about guys who do not get hit. Tyler Glasnow is, he's not just at the top of the list. Consistent. He's at the top of the list. And then there's this gap among prospects to the next guy who doesn't get hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, his career average against, I think, for something like 170. 172. 172. <laughs> it's sick. 172. Now, if you go year by year during Glasnow's career and look at what the best average against in the minors is most Why don't years, you just tell me what you want to do and I'll look it up. It's like it's like <laughs> one seventy five, one like his career average against would ranks basically among the league leader. I mean the the, the minor league leaders each year. It's yeah, just, his career but, high was that, that twenty thirteen year one forty two. But really leading up to this. But the thing with that is is that as that gives him a better chance to survive than most pitchers with his flaws. Absolutely. Yeah. That being said, it has to. His control has to get better, and that's the thing we've been saying. We were saying it in 14, we are saying it in 15, we are saying it in 16. Here we are in 17. The control has to get better, and there is a concern how much of that is is that how much body control, because we, we see it in other ways too. He gets great extension, but... The reality of it is, is that he also, if you are standing on first base and you are capable of 
running full speed from first to second, you've got a pretty good chance to steal. You know, if you are a 30 runner or better, he he struggles to hold runners. He there's these all you know these little things, and it all adds up to, does he have the body control to make the adjustments? To not that he's not going to show glimpses, but to make the adjustments to where you hand him the ball and six or seven innings later you say, you know what, there was never that inning where it all just fell apart. Yeah, he is susceptible to the big inning. Yes, because it, he does not pitch as well out of the stretch. If you get on base, you can run all over him. He doesn't field his position very well. And it's, you know, sometimes it seems like the walks just snowball on him. And all it takes sometimes is that one hit. He may only give up that one hit in that inning, but if there are already ducks on the pond, suddenly there's going to be a crooked number to use two cliches right back to back. So that, that's the problem for Glasnow. And he got exposed. So I don't think we're overreacting to what he did in the big leagues. I've seen that critique of us ranking him number one right. two years in a row and then not this year. It's really more a matter of, he hasn't fixed what ails him. And that's the only to, thing but, that ails him, but to, the, 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 that, that's going to be exposed. He's going to be a sitting duck in the big league. But he didn't fall back as much as also the two guys who were ahead of him in the Pirates rankings moved up. And that's so, so Meadows is just a really good high ceiling and high certainty prospect. It's very easy to see him being a solid average regular. I have very little doubt that he'll be able to do that. Comparing Glassnow to Mitch Keller, Matt, that's just – where you're going upside, like Keller doesn't quite have as much upside maybe as Glasnow, but he does it so much easier and it's just so much more. He's so much more the conventional prospect. He's not six eight. Basically, right. for me, the fact that he's not six eight almost did it almost by <laughs> itself. Uh, uh, JJ has researched Keller a lot more extensively, but I want to just touch on Glasnow. Yeah. What he showed in his brief major league, major league debut last season. There's no doubt about the, the swinging strike ability. That's plus. Fastball velocity, it's plus. Just doesn't throw enough first pitch strikes. So can he land? Can he get? Can he throw a first pitch breaking ball, a surprise strike? Can and, he get that in the zone? And, can he come back from a 2-0 count with by locating his fastball? I just don't know if he's answered these questions. Because when you're behind, you're gonna have to put get hitters out when they know what's coming to be a starter. You're gonna have to a few times a game beat a guy who's a big league hitter who's looking fastball, and you have to beat him with a fastball and in the zone. What? Consistently, and, and the thing about it is, is that saying for in the positive for Glasnow, if you are talking to me and asking me about guys who just with a smidgen more command could do that, Tyler Glasnow's fastball doesn't have to be ninety-seven for right. him to generate swings and misses in the zone. Right, there is something about his fastball that generates swings and misses. It's the extension, whether mm-hmm. it's the life, the descent, all of together, downhill, like downhill crazy. plane, all of that. He is a guy who generates swings and misses in the zones and weak contact, which explains the 172 career average against. But you're right. Can he do that consistently enough? Because at the big league level, again, he wasn't. Now, we're not talking. This was not Dylan Overton's debut. Right. But, no. but this was, we saw the, the, the flaws of, of Tyler Glasnow, as you would expect, got magnified when he reached the big leagues. Have we ever gotten a good comp on him? You know, to be honest with you, no. No, he's, he's, he's pretty, very he's pretty unique. He's unique. <laughs> I mean, he's like a leaner Jeff Neiman. Like, he's that size. And, you know, you wonder deliberate. if he has... <laughs> he is deliberate. I always thought <clears throat> that he would be a better athlete because... I, I, I guess I would say I assumed more athleticism was in there when the fact that the brother's a decathlete 
uh, Kyle, uh, Division One decathlete <laughs> who actually had Tommy John surgery at Notre Dame throwing the javelin, which I think was pretty That's hilarious. awesome. Yeah, I love that tidbit. And the mom was a gymnast and a gymnastics coach, a Division One gymnastics coach. So I thought like, when, when I was researching him in the Florida State League and he came through, it's like this guy has to be more athletic down the line. And there's, I just thought, okay, as he grows into his body and matures physically, there will be more body control. There will be this athleticism that has to be in there when you have these genetics. And, uh, you know, I'm not Dr. Moreau, I guess. I couldn't, do, I couldn't get, get in there and really see. That's, that's the first geneticist I could think of. <laughs> I, but I, just, I, I, I guess I was putting too much stock, J.J., in the other athleticism, in his athleticism, because you, just, you watch him, and you wrote about this in 2015, it's just not apparent that he has the athlete – the, the body control to improve. That, that's the concern. Like, the, the thing I, I kind of, the guy I think of that there is at least some similarities is I do think of Giolito at this point because they are both, they're different, but they are. Giolito is similarly sized. But that, that, the, the size wise, it is, they're both very big guys. The thing I do want to remind us with Glasnow again, and, and I, I, you know, I am still pretty optimistic on Glasnow. Again, he didn't move significantly. Down you're in you're our buying Glasnow more than Giolito. I probably yeah. I mean, because Glasnow throughout his career, if you say what does Glasnow have to do right now to be a successful big league pitcher, you hit on it. It's not that his stuff has to get any better. It's literally just if he just throws more strikes, if his if his command and his control bump up by a grade, he'll be fine. See, I see more evidence that Giolito can fix what ails him. Then Glasnow can fix what ails him. So I, but, I'm more optimistic about Giolito. But Glasnow, the other thing is, is that he's 23. He's a six foot eight pitcher who's 23, and it's understandable. I mean, we've been writing about him for a long time. I remember when he was in the Sally League, and it's like, right. man, look at what the year that this guy Tyler Glasnow's having. All that, but it may be again. He is a guy. If you asked me, that said that. And the Pirates are a team. If you were going to pick an organization to be in, even post-Jim Benedict, that said, okay, are they going to figure out a way to get it out of him? Yeah, I think that this is a good organization to be in. That being said, if you told me that he ends up being a guy who we're talking about at 26 saying it hadn't come together, hadn't come together, and then we talk about him as a 28-year-old, and we go, mm-hmm. wow, there's the guy that we've been looking for. But that's Giolito, too. Yeah. And he's 6'6". Six, six, yeah. The same thing. So Giolito getting his old velocity back, I think, is much more much more likely to me but, than, Gili- than, than, than uh, Tyler Glasnow all of a sudden but figuring even, out But if, Glasnow, if Giolito gets his old velocity back, the fastball's still not as good as Glasnow's. That it doesn't have to be. He just has to throw. He already throws more strikes. He's around the strike zone more. All he has to do is figure out how to set that breaking ball up. The breaking ball is still there. He still has feel for spin. He can he can do what Matt just said. He can drop in a first pitch breaking ball much more than Glasnow can do. Uh, so again, uh, it's not either or. They're both. I think it's more likely. Who's more likely to be a star? I would say Glasnow. Who's more likely to be a consistent third or fourth starter? Giolito, and Giolito still has a chance to be a star. Who's more likely to be a reliever? It's Tyler Glasnow. Yeah, and JJ, you had the South Atlantic League top prospect list this year, so you got a lot of feedback on Mitch Keller. Hit us. Scouts love, 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 love Mitch Keller. So and do I teammates. Think, <laughs> so do teammates. Yeah, yeah, we talked to a couple of te- you know, teammates love Mitch Keller. The thing that stands out with him um, – Little bit, not an unusual, but we we're talking about a, a, a 2014 draftee who really 15 was not a lost year, but it was kind of I mean there, you didn't 
Mitch Keller kind of went into almost hibernation in 15. Well, the, 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 this is what the Pirates did. They were very aggressive with high school pitching in 2014. They had a lot of picks. They had extra picks. They took Gage, spent a lot of money Gage on Gage Hines in the 11th round. That's kind of interesting. Um, I think Trey Shupak, who they drafted high in that draft out of high school in Texas, they already traded him. So they took three high-dollar prep arms, Which Hines, Shupak, and Keller. And Keller was the first one they took, uh, 64th overall, I believe, out of an Iowa high school. Uh, gave him a million dollars to take him uh, to buy him out of North Carolina's signing class. North Carolina had six signees who were drafted in the first 60, 64 picks that year. Keller's the best one. Forrest Wall and Jack Flaherty were supposed to be better. I know there's there's another high. Uh, well, Bukowskis was also, I believe, that year who wasn't drafted, but he was in our top 30. Um, so they had a big recruiting bounty that year. Keller was the one they thought they were going to get that they didn't get. They thought they had a chance at Wall and at Flaherty. But so, so Keller was, you know, late bloomer also that yeah. year too, JJ in the draft. And, oh, and he's, um, he's, I mean, he's you're, coming you're into gonna, it. The reality is when you say late bloomer, when you're an Iowa kid, <laughs> right. you're going to be a late bloomer. They, they don't play baseball during the uh, spring. You're playing some, you know, you're not playing a high school baseball season during the spring, I should say. But with Keller, you hit on it. The thing that stands out to everyone who sees him is, is that it is, it's really good stuff. But more than the really good stuff, it is present for his age, for his level, the fastball command and control yeah. is yeah. really advanced. Just a sidebar. 18 walks and 23 starts. That's really good for a young For a guy who <laughs> has stuff, stuff that That's literally it. the stuff grades out as, could this be guy be a front of the rotation starter? Absolutely. The stuff's there, and he's doing that already. He's locating that stuff yes. in a way that very few pitchers at that age with that kind of stuff, rarely, they very rarely do that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is that he's, he's not just some command and control guy. He was up to 96 in the Florida State League playoffs – when he's at what 120, 130 innings, um, so mm-hmm. it's and, and he's got again their bloodlines here too. Older brother John Keller uh, was in Nebraska, then went on up at the Division II school, was in the Orioles organization. I think is still there. He's 96, 97. So Mitch has similar arm strength, much more athletic, athletic a, a better body, a, a for body him. control. That's right. A so. better. It's not you know he he got the he got the the fortunate pair of jeans from the standpoint of like again he probably I feel wishes like we, he was as tall as his brother, but, but he's not. But. I kind of feel like we've kind of as a – like if you said one of the things that we've become more uh, attuned, aware, yeah. attuned or whatever is is when I started at Baseball America, if I saw that a pitcher was 6'8", I always thought of that as a big advantage. And I've kind of – I think you guys do somewhat too. Like I kind of now look at it. Yes, every now and then you, you hit the absolute one-in-a-million lottery and Randy Johnson, because of his height, is, is absolutely dominant. It's just a lot harder, though, to be 6'8 than it is to be a 6'3 pitcher. The the best quote I've ever heard about this is a scouting director, National League Club, said, there's an awful lot of 6'2", 6'3 right-handers in the Hall of Fame. That's right. It's very true. It's that's really the sweet spot. Six two to six four. I think you, you, you get you're, you're big enough to get plain. You're big enough to be durable, but you're not too big to where all of a sudden it's like, how do I control these massive limbs? Honestly, the the best tall starter of the last you know the 21st century is Adam Wainwright. He's mm-hmm. the best one. Yep. I think we listed him as six six. He's really six seven. He's a massive dude. He uh, but clearly the, he has athleticism. Syndergaard is six six ish. I think he's right around there. But let's see him do it for fifteen years. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I love Noah Syndergaard. You know, don't get me he's, wrong. He's going to at you on Twitter. He, he probably will. Uh, I'd love it if he did. But 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 Adam Wainwright is that guy, and he does all the th- he checks every big guy box. But he also has athleticism and incredible work ethic. To come, I thought his career was going to be shot. Well, when he ruined his Achilles tendon, but he's come back from that. I mean, he wasn't as good last year, but, but uh, he's he is the gold standard 
for taller for, for out of the sweet spot in this century. You know, he's not. I mean, Randy Johnson's a total no. freak in a great way, with all due respect. But asking someone to be Randy Johnson is too much. That's but, fair. But the other thing that does worry me a little bit with Glassnose, when you talk about floors for guys like this, hmm. the big guys like that often have more difficulty. A lot of times if we describe, if I told you, hey, I've got this pitcher, no one ever hits him, he walks too many guys, there's concerns about the command and control, you kind of usually would say, you know, he throws, by the way, he can throw 96, 97, and especially you could probably throw more than that in shorter stints. You'd say, okay, he can move to the pen. It's hard. That's another thing, though. When the 6'3 guy moving to the pen, again, I'm not saying Tyler Glass needs to move 10 pen anytime soon, but the fallback option, option for guys, it's harder for the big guys to move the pen a lot of times because a lot of times those are the guys who need longer to get loose it's to just, throw. It's just all about athleticism. If you're a big guy and you're stiff, you're not going to have fast control, not to mention command. And if you're a big guy who's stiff, it's going to take you a longer time to get loose. So you're looking for, that's why I'm looking for, loo- I'm not, well, I'm not. Scouts are looking for looseness. Scouts are looking for athleticism. And when they keep saying that, that's what's reflected in my, in my rankings of pitchers. That's why I really like Mitch Keller. Um, the, the, a guy who was a real split camp guy when it comes to scouts was Kevin Newman in the 2015 draft. And you would talk to Pac-12 coaches, and they'd be like, yeah, we pitch Kevin Newman inside with fastballs, and he doesn't hit the ball hard. It's like it's not a, it's not rocket science. If you locate inside to him, you would get him out. And but with Wood, he has been a guy who's always hit for high average. Did it in the Cape Cod League. He ranks fifth. I, I think it's a sign of a good system, Matt. If you have a middle infielder who's hit at Double A and gotten to Double A and has the Wood hitting track record of Kevin Newman, if he's your fifth prospect, at the same time, I think it's also fair to put him a full step behind. His peers from that 2015 draft, the Benintendis, the Bregmans, the Swansons, those guys went higher in the draft because there's more power there, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, Newman had an exceptional year in the Florida State League, hit 370, rounding up. So it looked like his drop at Altoona to two, 290-ish was severe, but, you know, 290, it still puts him a 60-70 hit. And you your know? first professional season, yeah. that's really uh, <clears throat> exceptional. you say that, because I know I've had scouts text me that they get angry when you do that, but you're not saying that that makes him a 70 hitter. Right. Well, you're Explain that to people that, so they understand That's it. a present evaluation of his hitting ability in 2016. Just saying that, it's not, what you're saying is, is that... It's not a projected grade. Right, what you're saying is, is that the analytics say that he was a standard deviation or two standard deviations above... The league average. The league average. Correct. So, just to clarify that. Just to that. clarify that. I think scouts would probably, scouts who like him would give him a six future hit. I, th- I think that's fair. 45 power. That's the real question is how much power do you think he has? And if there were guys who saw him as like, this guy could be Alan Trammell, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer. Like, the, he could come into power later. You see it. You do see hitters who do that in their careers, who don't hit for a lot of power in the minor leagues and then get to the big leagues. A, they use titleists. They use the tighter wound ball. The ball does carry more. The big league ball carries more than the minor league ball, period. That's a that's something in this power spike that we see in the big leagues. The ball is I'm not saying livelier, it's, it's a just better a different ball. ball. It's a it's better, a better ball. ball. And second of all, uh hitters do learn, oh, I can you have more bats. You're a more experienced hitter. Yeah, you're facing tougher pitchers, but you're just a better hitter when you're twenty seven, theoretically, than you are when you're twenty two. If you've, if you've gotten there and you've survived, you've seen more, you've got a bigger mental uh, registry of pitchers and what you face and situations. So Kevin Newman could be that guy who comes into power. But his present power, I, think it's, there's, I don't think it's debatable that it's not average present major league power. He right. had five home runs last year. He did have some slugging 
and nice lucky numbers, but it was under 100 ISO in AA in his short time there. I think he actually makes more of an impact offensively by being a top-of-the-lineup type of guy, a guy mm-hmm. who can steal some bases, smart base stealer, smart base runner. Um, to me, there's a lot to like with Kevin Newman. I just don't see him as a future star. I see him as a future very good player. Yeah, I was going to I mean, Alan Trammell is way too lofty. But, For me, it's too lofty. But but I have heard it. I've heard it from two guys, one area scout who had his for coverage and one uh, national cross-checker. But they, to me, they seem to be in the minority uh, of the scouts I surveyed in 2015. And guys in the Florida State League liked him, but when I threw that comp at him, they, they, they pretty much were like, no, not that kind of impact, not that kind of power. But I think he'll be a better player than Jordy Mercer, who's been their regular. And I think he's right on time. This is Mercer's last year in a contract. So Newman, I think, will be their regular. And I also think it's fantastic that he played in this Edmund field with Kevin Kramer last year. So he had Kramer and Newman together again, <laughs> riding high. I'm sure driving uh, purloined mail trucks around uh, <laughs> all over the Florida State League last year, at least in the first half. If only Mike Costanzo had been a player coach on that team, you could have had uh, – Quite the infield there. And maybe uh, Alan Bennis' kids. There are no Seinfelds in the minor leagues. Um, who else did you like in this top ten? Because for me, I like Cabrian Hayes. Uh, he wasn't a top 100 guy for me. He has to do it over. For you? No, he has to do it over. I like Cabrian Hayes. It was an average year in this Atlantic League. It was, like, it was an average year. There was... You want to see him take a step forward in They're flat. He's flashed being... He's flashed top 100 talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He hasn't... For me, done it. He's got to, he's to, got to do it more consistently yet. over a full season to be a top hundred guy. There's still some questions, it seems like, with him as well. But uh, who who is a guy that you like out of the back half of their top ten, uh, Matt? I'll say Elias Diaz, who had a, a lost year last year. You know, keep an eye on him if you play in a stratomatic league. Future minus three arm coming up on this guy. Nice. He can really throw. <laughs> he <was laughs> he had, Captain's uh, Catcher's not. Award winner in 2015, but. <laughs> I mean, does he have the survival tools to figure out hitting? I mean, this is a yeah. this is an organization that seems like they figured out the catcher thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they've developed Cervelli at the big league level, yeah. uh, they kind of resuscitated Russell Martin's career. Um, they're doing something right with catchers at the big league level. I do think Diaz factors into that in the future. And with Reese McGuire out of the way, smooth sailing. Hey, Reese McGuire <laughs> is out of the way. Who do you like on the back of their top ten, JJ? You can I, tell, you can say Cabrian Hayes. He's technically in the back. Of the I was going to say I, I would say I think Brault is a uh, Brault is when you talk about split camp guys. I've talked to scouts who say they don't think that Stephen Brault is a, a big league starter. They think of him as just one of those. You know, there's plenty of lefties out there. He's one of those. I've talked to other guys who think no, no, no. You're talking about a guy who could go out there and be a solid number four for a while to come, and there's a lot of value in that. He is, he is one of the, again, from this phylum of the low-slot lefty that mm-hmm. is becoming more prominent in doesn't, the game. It doesn't mean he's Chris Sale, but you'll always now, when you when a guy is describing a brawl type to you, he'll say it's, got, it's a Sale-type delivery. Right, and there's there's Adam Conley, who we've talked about, who has that kind of delivery. Josh Hader, is on, it might even be lower slot. Um, but Brawl is from that family, map, but he's always been more of a strike thrower yes. than a stuff guy. But it seemed like the stuff played more and the command played less at AAA last year. That that is the puzzle that he needs to solve because you know you like the the strikeouts and the swing and miss he showed this year, but you kind of wish he had that old control too because right. his his walk rate really cratered this year. So there's deception. There's an above average slider. Uh, times a plus changeup. The guys who like him see average fastball, above average to plus secondary stuff. That phylum of player works if. The command right. is that's solid the, average or better. And that's, again, 
it's so much true with young pitchers. <laughs> There's very few pitchers. That's what makes Julio Urias so special. There are very few pitchers who arrive in the big leagues, and that's not the last thing that they need to check off the list. It, and Stephen Brault, Tyler Glasnow, both fit in that. That's what Jameson Tyone was so impressive about him last year. And that, to me, to me, when I look at the Pirates, and I know that last year was a disappointing year, but I do look at it and say, like, I feel like that the Pirates, even in this very disappointing season where they did not really contend. They, they, they won 19 fewer games at the big league level. I mean, that's, that, that's bad. It's a you bad. Know, you go from 98 to 79, that's, 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 that's a, a bad, bad year. season. That said, I do feel like when I look, they, they did that, and part of one of the reasons they dropped back is, is that they had to use – a whole lot of young arms in the rotation. Tyone came up, Glasnow pitched in the big leagues, Brault and Chad Cool. Chad Cool. They used a lot of guys. The thing that I do think that it helps them for the long term is is that I now I feel like that they kind of went when you talk about they're not really rebuilding in, mm-hmm. in a way, but I see much more of the core of their 2020 team now having had some big league time. If they're going to succeed, if they're going to make this window last a long time, they have Polanco, you know, they have some of these guys locked up who they need to be, and they need Gregory Polanco to kind of be the star in the second half of this decade, much like Kutch was in the first half of the decade. But that's... Or Starling Marte. Or Starling Marte. But that, those are plausible. I mean, that's not... They're not asking, you know, that okay, well, all I've got to do, I've got to roll double sixes here, and if I don't, we're in trouble. They need Garrett Cole to be that front of the rotation starter. That's not asking something that's crazy to ask. But it needs to happen now because he's going to be he gone in two years. Right. So that's the thing for but, Garrett Cole. But they need, but okay, but the thing about it is, is that can Jamison Tyone or Tyler Glasnow, could one of those guys be the guy that steps into that role after Cole leaves? That's, Very possible. That's. They have guys where you have plausible options there. For the, Mitch Keller, Mitch Keller would be, you know, ideally Jamison Tyone moves into that role, and Mitch Keller moves into Jamison Tyone role at that point. I gotta say, Tyone kind of concerned me for this the change in approach this year. He's went to a more ground ball approach. It is the Pirates' he, way. I know he, he got hit in the zone. He, he did not miss bats in the zone at all last year. That's it's it was he, it's he, consistent it's, with our scouting report. Just just looking at their internal notes, the scout in here who was talking about seeing their AAA team. And that he watched Tyone for a full game, and he got two swings and misses. And Brawl came out the next day in one inning and had seven swings and misses in the first. I'm just registering my concern. I'm not saying he can't be good, but because JJ's in the other camp. JJ's yeah. a big Tyone fan. I mean, my thought is, is like, <clears throat> I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree with it. But at the same time, I, over a pretty large sample last year, his emphasis on throwing strikes and getting weak contact worked pretty well. I, I mean, I didn't see anything in there that said this is completely a smoke and mirrors year that he can't replicate. I think it's more likely that Keller and Glasnow are the future one. I I, I would probably agree with you on that. But, I I mean, again, I think Keller's the future. Right, me too. The one thing that, to me, the Pirates need to do to pry this window open longer is draft college hitters better. (laughs) And they have – the track record is the track record. I'm not going into their reports. I don't see who they had rated. I'm not talking about whether they got their pocket picked. I, I don't have that information. All I can do is scoreboard. When you scoreboard their college bats outside of Kevin Newman, who was a first-round pick, Kevin Kramer in the second round, Casey Houston in the third round in 2015, those guys are not factors. Kramer's in their top 30. Lefty bat, doesn't run, future utility profile. That's, that's Kevin Kramer. Like Utility like first base, second base, third base, maybe a left field. That's Kramer. Hello, that's Kramer. Connor Joe, 39th overall 2014. That was a massive reach at the time. 
The only way he was a pick there is if he thought he caught. He didn't catch. He's got a bad back. Didn't like the pick at the time. Hasn't worked out. Jordan Luplo, they moved from the outfield to third base, back to the outfield. I think he's, you know, he's just not Michael Suki. These guys are just not guys, you know. So this is an analytics-inclined organization. They use the analytics very well. Other teams that do that do better in the draft with college position players than they do. They had well, Kajuko, that, the one guy they liked, the, the, the 2013 draft, you know, they got a couple big league college bats, Jacoby Jones and, and Adam Frazier. I really like Adam Frazier. I, I, I could even see him being that Josh Harrison type. That was a guy I regretted that we ranked low last year on opening day in 2016. Uh, Neil Huntington told me the guy that he thought that we relied on was Adam Frazier, and he was right. Adam Frazier had a really nice rookie year last year, lost his eligibility for being the prospects. But the guy can hit, and he hit in college at Mississippi State. Uh, and he's hit so far as a pro. Jacoby Jones, they traded, I forget, to the Tigers for what, but he's a high-variance guy. Soria, I believe. You know, you know, Soria. So this is a guy who probably fits best as a 300 or 400 of bat guy. He's never controlled the strike zone. Yeah. But if you want to pry this window open, you got to have some cheap position players, and you got to find David Freeze in the draft, not in free agency. You Find Jung Ho Gong. Find those types of players. And they used to do that. Jordy Mercer wasn't a high draft. He wasn't a first-round pick, but... They're doing it less well in the last three drafts than they did it pre- previously. And so, you know, when you have, you know, when you're in the same neighborhood as the Cubs and the Cardinals, you better find hitters as well as the Cubs and the Cardinals. And that's really where the gap is. The number one gap between these two organizations is money. But the number two is those two organizations draft hitters better than the Pirates do. It's just, you know, that's well, just going scoreboard. And that leads to the, I mean, Another divisive player, Will good Craig. Way, good way to finish things off, exactly. Will, Will Craig, number nine, who, uh, as when you are looking at the season he had last year at Wake Forest, it was, it was a monster. Season. It was a monster season. By and the he's way, done it for two years. Done it for two years, and oh yeah, by the way, he would also come in and, and pitch relief for them, which doesn't really provide much value to the uh, to the Pirates. But it, it might. was, you know. But that said. Pro scouts who saw Will Craig in his debut last year are not real sold on Will Craig, the ones I talked to. And there were scouts who saw him as an amateur who weren't real sold on him. And there were scouts who saw him in high school who weren't real sold on him. Again, Tennessee class of 13. Tennessee class of t- 13, but our first write-up of Will Craig is in 2011, teammates with Daniel Norris in East Tennessee. When Daniel Norris's team goes and faces Farragut High School, it's supposed to be Norris against uh, Phil Pfeiffer. But so East Tennessee was loaded in that range. Nick Senzel was on that same team with Farragut. Mm-hmm. So they're the same draft class. The only teams that offered uh, Al, uh, Will Craig for uh, hitting, I believe, were Samford and Wake Forest. And to me, I confuse him all the time with Alan Craig, and I think they're very similar players. Minus athletes, big bodies. At one point, it would not surprise me if Will Craig has – an Alan Craig 2013 season where he's a really productive middle lineup hitter. But do I see him as a future star? I do not. And just like Alan Craig, you're going to have a hard time finding a place on the diamond for this guy to play. He should be a third baseman. He's got a uh, rail gun for an arm at third base. But he is, when you watch big league third baseman, his best body comp is like a David Freeze type of player. And he, I don't, I don't know that he's even as agile as David Freeze. Um, so that's the real issue for me with, that, with, that, with Will Craig. The other issue is his wood bat uh, hitting history is sketchy. was really not good in the Cape. 
and he was Jeb Bush-like up there. He was a little low energy up there. Um, so scouts do think he's a little low energy. Uh, but the guy can hit. He's country strong. Uh, I like him personally. He seems like he's got a chip on his shoulder in a good way of the doubters, and maybe he's going to add this rant to it. Um, but, I, you know, he was not a guy that – he would not have been a first-round pick 20 years ago. Scouts would have just seen the body. They wouldn't even have cared about the college stats. And he just wouldn't have been a first-round pick. The analytics were what made him a first-round pick. He slugged 702 and 731 the last two years at Wake Forest. Uh, that ranks third in 2016 and fifth in the country in 2015. That's what made him a first-round pick. But with Wood, the power track record is much sketchier. Yeah, he had two home runs in the Penn League. I don't think he had any in the Cape in 2015. So I'm a little bit surprised that he still was a first-round pick based off what he did in the Cape. But he just was so good in the regular season, uh, yeah, that's what did it. So, for me, he's going to be a referendum on their college bat draft track record. And the recent track record of those college bats does not make me optimistic. So, anything else, guys? Seems yeah, like a good, good place to leave it. Would be ripping real Craig. And I hate that because I love the Tennessee prep class of 2013. No one loves the Tennessee prep class of 2013. Well, I think it's been 20 minutes talking about Alan Hansen. He's so hot right now. I'm just kidding. He's actually not so hot right now. He, he is my my favorite player in the system, who's a future waiver claim reminder league free agent. <laughs> he may need a new uh, he may need a new <laughs> new address uh, to get better. But it, I thought your favorite player was actually Max Moroff. You like Max? Moroff. No, I like Hanson. You like Hanson better yeah. than Moroff? Oh yeah. That's a tough one. JJ Max Moroff or Alan Hanson? Ah. Uh, <laughs> It's not that hard. <laughs> no, I mean, this, these are the kind of things, like, it's funny, like, when we're talking... The, the correct top, answer is Adam Frazier. But, yeah, that, I mean, we're really part of it is is that uh, I would probably say more off at this point, but it's very close. But this is the kind of thing, I when we were in our top 100 meeting at the start of the week, and we literally did, we had, like, there was, I think it was, like, 32 and 33. We had, like, a 10-minute discussion of 32 and 33. This is amping that up. When yeah. We could have a 10-minute discussion of Alan Hansen versus Max Moroff, which would be, Ooh. you know... <laughs> Well, the real I, the other thing is, let's predict. Uh, we'll get Hudson Belinsky to predict which uh, high variance prep arm in Florida the Pirates will draft high in 2017. Because last year it was Brandon Ogle and uh, Travis McGregor, uh, McGregor who wasn't a BA 500 guy, I don't think, and they took him in the second round. I think he was he was actually lower in the 500, but not a consensus second round pick. Ogle was a guy who popped up early, but they I, I have a lot of confidence in their ability to draft and develop pitchers. I have less confidence in their ability to do it. Especially with domestic hitters, but uh, but let's see if Kevin Newman uh, proves me wrong, and then Will Craig uh, see if he proves me wrong. But there is stuff to like in this system. But uh, the National League Central, as we'll keep discussing, uh, is tough, and there are some really yeah, other we, good farm systems in this division: Cardinals and Brewers still to come, and the Reds. So uh, this, uh, but this is one of the more interesting divisions. The NL Central has it all over the American League Central in terms of farm systems, especially. Although the American League Central says, look at how often we've you know they. They, I'm just saying farm systems. Yeah, no, the, Central the American League Central is in. They're, they're saying yes, yes, yes. That that may be true, but and now they have the NL Central does have your you know World Series champs, but the AL Central for all its flaws is saying, hey, look, we're the don't talk about AL East. We're the, the division in the American League that sends teams to the World Series. I'm saying flyover countries where it's at in terms of these farm systems. Mm-hmm. I I kind of like it. So we'll talk about another one tomorrow. Which one? We don't know. We'll figure it out when we come in in the morning. <laughs> yeah. For J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.